Good morning. It's awesome to be here with you today. I'm going to move this. I'm excited today. I feel like I might knock this over. Uh, how is everybody? Is everybody doing well? Good, good. That sounded pretty, that sounded pretty positive. I'm doing fantastic this morning. It's just one of those days. I'm just really excited to be here with you all today. Part of that, there's a couple of reasons for that. One of which is I had the privilege of being here last night for one of our bridge youth events. That's not something I'm present for all the time, but uh, they needed a bouncer last night. So I was like, I can, I can do that. And uh, Chuck Davis was standing here in this pulpit sharing. And one of the questions that comes up with this bridge ministry, we just have like, you know, like dozens and dozens of kids showing up. I think there was like 50 to 60 kids uh, here last night, many of whom are unchurched. And the question is like, well, what are we, what is the purpose of this? What are we doing here? Are we just like having these kids, having them show up, have a good time? It was a fantastic time. They, I think every kid had a lot of fun. But Chuck stood up here and in about a seven to 10 minute period, he just shared a very introductory lesson about repentance towards God. And, it, and he, did a fantastic, he did a great job for sure, but that's why we're doing it. So that was really exciting. It was fun to hang out with the kids. And then um, I'm helping out with a kid's Sunday school that Justin Perkins, somewhere in here, he teaches. Justin did a fantastic job this morning. And then our music ministry this morning, I don't know, you guys killed it. So thank you to everybody. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people doing other things in this church. I could go on and on and on, but again, uh, just thank you all for your continued service. And that's really resonating with me this morning. So now let's dive into the sermon throughout the Bible. Water is frequently used to symbolize the chaotic world we live in. This makes sense when you consider the original context of scripture, the people that were originally reading these texts. For them, if water was more than about 10 feet deep, they didn't know what was underneath the water. They lacked means of reliably navigating the water. Their boats were dependent on wind and rowing. And for those of you that are interested, sail technology wasn't as advanced as it is now. So they were pretty limited in that way. If the water, if the weather turned bad and you were out on the water, it was big trouble. In the Old and New Testament, many of the most famous stories involve God overcoming water or using it to establish his absolute control. He creates life out of a watery waste in Genesis 1. He sends a flood in Genesis 6 through 9. Later in Exodus, the Red Sea divides. Jonah is consumed by the stormy waters and then redeemed from the sea. The New Testament uses water as well to communicate that Jesus is God. A lesson we are supposed to learn from these narratives is that the God who rules the chaotic waters is extending his rule in a chaotic world. Today we are going to look at another famous story involving water. It is the story of the baby Moses being put in a wicker basket 
and placed in the Nile River. This, this story is supposed to remind readers of the ark that kept Noah safe. God has authority over the dark, swirling waters over the world. He navigates those waters to accomplish his purposes. In doing so, he saves his people. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 2. We will begin reading in verse 1 and go through verse 10. There's a Bible in the pew, and these verses will also be projected on the screen behind me. This is Exodus chapter 2, if I can get there. Maybe not. Uh, beginning in verse 1 and going through verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. For people, water is uncontrollable. We may temporarily be able to control it, but we can't do so long term. That makes it very similar to the world in general. To God, neither water nor the world feel overwhelming. We think we might drown in the chaos of this world. God uses the chaos for his purposes. He exercises authority over all. God is using his power. To draw his people out of a world that seems uncontrollable. We can have confidence in God's power and his purposes. In difficult times, it is easy for people to feel that the course of history is either determined by the decisions other people make or by arbitrary chance. Those that explain the way the world is through the actions of people would read today's verses 
and blame the Pharaoh who mandated the killing of Israelite baby boys for what is happening. This is a fair accusation to make. Pharaoh is the one who ordered that male Jewish offspring be murdered. He is certainly evil. He has an immense amount of power, as much power as any human has ever wielded over the lives of large numbers of people. He certainly has influence in this story. Pharaoh himself believes he is in complete control of his world. He thinks whatever he commands is what will happen. Those that hold him responsible are just agreeing that he has the power he claims. The truth is, he cannot even exercise the level of control over a whole nation in his own house. A daughter of Pharaoh finds a basket on a riverbank. Inside is a baby boy. This woman makes the correct assumption that this is a Hebrew child. And instead of killing the boy as Pharaoh commanded, she takes pity on it. Pharaoh's power to shape the world is limited by his lack of knowledge. Maybe he could have prevented his daughter from picking up Moses if he had considered the possibility. He didn't because he couldn't. The issue with explaining the way the world is by accusing bad actors is that in doing so, we must deny the limits of what any human being is capable of. No person can ultimately succeed at determining the outcomes of their efforts. Many have tried. There is always some megalomaniac politician, military leader, or business person that thinks they have a plan to rule the world. Eventually, these individuals always end up getting taken down by something that they could not forecast. John D. Rockefeller was one of the wealthiest men that has ever lived. He was in the early 1900s. He was taken down by a female journalist named Ida Tarbell. She was the daughter of a man Rockefeller had ruthlessly pushed out of business decades before. Her investigations of Rockefeller led to government regulation of unfair, monopolistic business practices. He never saw her coming. Any theory for why this world is the way it is that is dependent on a person or a group of people being able to exercise unlimited control is fatally flawed. It's not that people are not foolish enough to attempt to control the world. The problem is nobody is competent enough to pull it off for long. 
Sooner or later, a variable arises that was not accounted for. When this happens, the whole plan comes apart at the seams. Sometimes the variable that disrupts the plan is a natural occurrence. Sometimes it's a person that doesn't respond as expected. What is consistent is that there will always be an unexpected variable. Randomness or arbitrary chance is the second common way many people explain how the world works. There are factors in this story that impact the outcome that do seem pretty random. Let's list a few of them. The most obvious is that the baby born is a boy and not a girl. If Moses had been a girl, nothing that followed would have happened. The next bit of randomness is who finds the baby Moses. It turns out to be a princess. Some historians argue this was actually not random, but intentional. Moses' sister did place him where he would be found, even if she knew the spot where she placed him would be a spot he would be found. It seems unlikely she could have known exactly who would find him. Then there's the fact that the woman who finds Moses responds with pity. The text says the baby Moses cried and the woman had pity on him. If he had not have cried, would she have had pity? Was that, was that the, the decisive factor? Those who believe the functioning of the world is random would say, Moses just got lucky. Could have easily have been different. He could have been born a girl or this daughter of Pharaoh could have woken up on the wrong side of the bed. She could have had one of her servants burn her toast and the result would have been different. Believing the world is a product of random forces is even more problematic than believing it is only a product of evil forces. The person who thinks the decisions people make can explain everything that happens in the world at some point has to recognize this is not the case. They must admit the evidence doesn't add up. History has frequently swung on events that nobody planned for. A large part of the reason that I am not preaching to you today in Spanish is that a storm wrecked the Spanish fleet that was attempting to invade England during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. History and our lives frequently swing on events that are totally random to us. The, the person who thinks the world can be explained by randomness alone, it's really hard to get them to admit they are wrong. They can say even outcomes that appear to be the product of foresight are the arbitrary results of change. Such people have to come to terms with the fact that if they are right, nothing has any meaning. A totally random world means every action is random. 
every belief is meaningless. As humans, we are all just an expression of the randomness. There is no great story, no set trajectory for history, no meaning or purpose. All we can do is accept what happens in the world. The alternative to human control or arbitrary chance is that God is actually the one determining what will happen in the world. It is fascinating when you think about it. God is not mentioned in these verses that we read today. This doesn't mean he is absent. He is clearly driving the action forward. To call God's presence a subtext would be downplaying his role. It is clear that he is behind everything that is happening. These verses don't say God did this or God did that. He is working through the decisions people make, even the bad ones. He is present in events that appear random. God is active even when it is not obvious to us in the moment. There are situations where I can look back over the course of my life and I can say, that, that is where God was clearly at work. And there are others that it's not so obvious, especially at the time. I've, I think I've told this story before, but when I was a freshman in college, I was just trying to find where I fit in, where I could belong. And so I was testing out various Christian ministries on the campus of the University of Tennessee. There was a lot of ministries and I was going around to the different ones. And there was this one particular ministry I'd tried out a couple of times and I was like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this ministry. And the reason was because the campus minister, I thought he was kind of a jerk, okay? But I had signed up for a lasagna dinner at his house. And so I'd made this decision, I'm done with this guy and his ministry, but I was also a college student and I was poor and I was like, but lasagna, right? <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna go to this dinner, but after this dinner, I'm done. Cause again, free lasagna, right? So I go to the dinner and it totally changed my perspective on this guy. And I was telling this to my kids in the car the other day, I was like, you may not exist if I didn't like lasagna and if I weren't poor. Because that, that ministry is where I met Anne, my wife. And so the history of real lives swings on a desire for lasagna. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. I've totally lost track. <laughs> we often can only see how God is at work in hindsight. The author of Exodus is not writing this book as it happened. He is looking back with the advantage of knowing what happened in the decades that follow. God's control, his sovereignty, inevitably brings up questions about human evil and arbitrary chance. The big question 
is if God is determining how history plays out, does that mean that evil is not actually evil? Pharaoh orders the murder of babies. Yet God works through that order to place Moses in the home of Pharaoh. Does that mean ordering babies murdered was actually okay because it fit in God's plan? If yes, then how can Pharaoh be held responsible? Shouldn't God take responsibility? A few of you may be familiar with the martial art known as jujitsu. Unlike Taekwondo or other martial arts that use kicking and striking, jujitsu is based on grappling. Basically, it is, it is a form of wrestling. The idea is to force your opponent to submit more than it is to beat them up. Those trained in jujitsu often use the momentum of their attackers' kicks and strikes against them. This is a bit how God uses human evil. Instead of just blocking it or striking back, he uses it to bring about submission. Pharaoh or any human is still responsible for the decisions they make, however holy or horrific they might be. The fact God is able to incorporate the evil purposes of man into the perpetuation of his plan in no way means those purposes are less evil. It just means God knows how to bring redemption out of bad situations. For theologians, the questions that come up around arbitrary chance are even more difficult to answer. Is any event that occurs actually arbitrary? From God's perspective, the answer would seem to be no. He knows everything that is going to happen. So nothing is really random. Does that mean God is the cause of every event that takes place? This is a question many people ask when natural events take place that destroy human life, whether it be an earthquake or a cancer diagnosis. If these occurrences are arbitrary, it means God is good but not in control of nature. If they are not a matter of chance, then God is responsible? Scripture doesn't deny arbitrary chance, nor does it deny God is still Lord. Romans 8, 20 and 21 say, Creation was subjected to futility in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. The whole world groans under the influence of futility, which God uses to overcome the bondage humanity introduced into the world. Arbitrary chance, a key component of futility, is something that, like human evil, God allows to operate in the world, which he then utilizes for his purposes. The random things in the world that happen are expected by God. 
That does not mean he causes them. God's purpose of drawing out his people is accomplished not just in spite of evil and futility in the world, but through it. God is making a people for himself. He refuses to hand humanity over to evil and chaos. God has every right to walk away. Mankind has rejected God. Israel in every generation denied him. God perseveres. His love drives him forward. He continues to engage with a world that has gone awry out of evil and chaos. He brings good. In the moment, it often seems impossible that God could be at work. We cannot see his invisible hand. We have to have faith that God is at work in ways we cannot see. We actually have a huge advantage over those that were alive in Moses' day. They had only the information from the book of Genesis to understand how God works. We have all of scripture. We have the history of the church. Most importantly, we know what happened with Jesus Christ. On the cross, we see the evil taking place in a chaotic world utilized by God to draw a people out for himself. In Moses' story, we should see our own story. God has a plan for you and I. It is a plan for good. He is drawing us out. We are being redeemed from the world. We may only be able to see the turbulence that is on the verge of consuming us. God sees so much more. His plans are not disrupted. Trusting in God changes the way we interact with the world. We need not live in fear. Some might respond by claiming, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I just, I just have a righteous anger at the way things are in the world. Righteous anger is certainly justified. But I suspect what we often claim is righteous anger is actually just fear in disguise. Christian peace and patience comes from the confidence we have in God's ability to set all things right. The more we focus on the evil and the chaos in our world, the more scared we will be. The more we focus on God's sovereign hand, the more at peace we will be. That's the question. What? This is a real question. What do we spend more time thinking about? Because it, I'm going off script now. Because what I find is when I have conversations and I talk to people, if I were to guess based on those conversations, 
I'm guessing it's somewhere in the ratio of 40 to one of the amount of time spent thinking about how scary things are in the world versus the amount of time thinking about how God is in control, right? So I, I, I could probably change this setting, but on my cell phone, nine o'clock every Sunday morning, it sends me a report of my time usage. How much time have I been on my phone this week? You guys probably get these reports as well. Is that report embarrassing to you? Seriously. Is that report embarrassing to you? And you may tell yourself like, oh no, you know, like I was doing really important stuff. You aren't doing really important stuff on Facebook. There's nothing important that happens on Facebook. Facebook is eating your soul, okay? It is, it is. We have lots of evidence this is true. You aren't doing really important things on YouTube either, okay? So this is a challenge. Like what is the proportion of the amount of time that we're spending doing these different things? Where is our focus? What does the report on your technology tell you? Our experience of the world is often one of near drowning. The waters of this world are crashing over us. We are buffeted by the arbitrary and the evil. It is easy to despair. God is steadily moving his plan forward. He is working through this world. We can have confidence even in the midst of the turbulence of our lives. God is working to create for himself a people. Nothing in today's sermon implies we should accept evil or chaos in our world. Moses' mother did everything she could to push back on the world. We should do all we can. We can do so with confidence, knowing that God is overseeing all. He is more powerful than the world. He is drawing us out of the chaotic waters as individuals and as people in ways that we cannot see in the moment. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are in control. You are in control. You are in control in every way. You overcome the evil. You overcome the chaos, Lord. I pray that that would be the defining focus of our lives, not, not that we would be ignorant of what is going on in the world, but that our knowledge of what is going on in the world would be enlightened by the overwhelming truth that you know more about what is going on in the world, that you are working through what is happening in the world to bring about your purposes and even if those purposes are mysterious to us in the moment, we can have confidence, we can rest in the knowledge that you are in control. We thank you and we praise you 
for your majesty and glory that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name.